0: All right, we're going to uh, be in 1 Kings and I'm uh, going to go back over what came up on Wednesday night and I haven't been able to get away from it. It just keeps coming back in my mind and in 1 Kings chapter 13, it's a story that I shared a while back out of the Bible, and when I was preparing for Wednesday night, this story came up and we talked about it. I read out of 1 Kings chapter 13, and after, after Wednesday night, it just it stayed with me, and I kept thinking of more and more things. Then, of course, um, with the news that came on Thursday, uh, things got kind of crazy at the end of the week, and my normal preparation for a sermon for Sunday kind of got disrupted a bit, and I've been working on uh, some other sermons and prep for that, so <clears throat> think of, I just, just think about things that are happening in in our world and in our country things that are happening in in our states our communities and all the way down to our families think about all the issues that we have faced and it seems to be getting worse and worse as time goes on we're going to talk about this uh prophet And I asked the people on Wednesday that were here after I read a few verses to see if they could remember the name of this this prophet. Now, they correctly said, we don't know. It's because this prophet's never named. He's never named in in the Word of God. But he's kind of a a famous one. So I'm going to read. And behold... There came a man of God out of Judah. There are very few times throughout the Bible that anybody is referred to as a man of God. Very few that are, even, that are named. And this is one of those people, and he's not, not even named. By the word of the Lord unto Bethel and Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. Now, what has led up to this is the downfall of Israel because of Solomon. Solomon has been a king. He has got so much wisdom and wealth. When you you hear about problems and you hear politicians talk about problems because we're always seeming to look at uh, what a politician can do for us. Right? And usually, one of the first excuses that happens is, well, we just don't have enough money for that, or we just haven't put enough money toward that. And that's never really truly the case. Solomon had so much wealth but did it do him any good? He had so much worldly wisdom, but did it do him any good? Did it do the nation of Israel any good by having all that wisdom and all that wealth? So we send people to the best colleges in America, and possibly in other parts of the world, and they get all this knowledge, and then They go to be representatives in Congress and Senate and maybe even make it to president one day. Maybe they make it to where they are a Supreme Court judge. But does it do them any good to have all that knowledge? Solomon has been compromising everything. The nation of Israel had... The Word of God, they had standards that were higher than any other nations of the world, but yet they had a king who looked so glorious and as time went on, he drugged the whole nation down because of his sinfulness. His doing things the way he wanted to do things and then turning a blind eye to all those things that were against God. He kept as time went on, he kept turning more and more and allowing things to happen. So when Solomon died, this king Jeroboam takes 10 tribes and goes up to the north and he makes a totally different kingdom. And it was very corrupt. And now he's getting ready to burn incense at this altar. And he cried against the altar. this This is the man of God, this prophet. He cried against the altar in the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord, behold, a child shall be born unto the house of David, Josiah by name, and upon thee shall he offer the priest of the high places that burn incense upon thee, so he's, he's actually going to offer the bones of people that have done the things that they're doing now, what's going on right here. Josiah, I think we determined, I never even looked it up, but we determined that that was 300 years later that Josiah was going to clean house. Because if you remember, Josiah was one of very few really good kings. There was two kings that I could say were really good, and it was probably Hezekiah and uh, Josiah. There's others that were honorable mention. They were decent, but most were horrible. Josiah's father was horrible, and his grandfather, if I'm not mistaken, was uh, Manasseh, who was the worst king ever for Israel. And Manasseh, again... I'm pretty sure he's the one that came from the great king Hezekiah in those 15 added-on years to his life. Answered prayer, but brought in a king that was absolutely horrible. Sometimes our answered prayer probably would have been best if it didn't get answered. And it's a story of hope when... You know you can pray, and God will hear you. But God had already said, this is going to happen. Sometimes we just need to go with what God says and not pray for anything different. It's, it's a, that's a tough one. Because it's great news that Hezekiah's life was extended. But a couple years into that extended life, baby Manasseh shows up, and he ends up being the worst king that Israel has ever seen. So, some things are hard to understand. So the story is, this this king, I mean this prophet, this man of God, prophet, they come out of Judah, he shows up at the time when uh, Jeroboam is doing this terrible thing. It just so happens that he shows up exactly when this happened. God's timing is right on. All right, I'm going to read some things out of this uh, John Phillips. So Jeroboam needed something. He needed to replace everything that was good, all the things that were set up in Judah. He needed to have his own, his copy of everything. He needed his own capital, so he chose Bethel. I'm talking about, you know, like Jerusalem is, is the, the real capital. He needed his own clergy. He needed his own calendar. He needed his own college. You know, uh, one of the books that Ronnie's reading uh, talks about all the, all the college, the, the Ivy League colleges, the greatest colleges of America when they were first formed. The main purpose of those colleges was to bring up preachers, to train them in the ways of God, to train them in the scriptures so that they would grow up and become preachers. That's Harvard, Yale, those types of schools. That's what they were established for. If you go back and look at their history, I think it was Ezra Stiles was one of the uh, presidents amazing man of God, Princeton, Yale, Harvard, those types of colleges, and look at them now. Look at them now. They're not known for bringing up any preachers, that's for sure, but that's what they were established for. So you got ha- to take over those places if you want to create a new kingdom and have a totally different way of doing things. In America, that is what has been happening. Do you see it? Now this man who was called, he was brave enough and bold enough to come in because he heard from the Lord and that he was to walk up and denounce what was going on at that altar. Putting his life at risk. And sure enough, King Jeroboam, he ordered that he would be taken and thrown in prison probably be killed for what he was doing. When he reached out to point to him, his hand withered. King Jeroboam, his hand withered. And then he realized what was happening and then he became very nice. He totally changed. When he realized that he was being hurt by what he was doing, all of a sudden he changed because it's all about him getting what he wanted. But then, he sees what is happening to him, and then he wants to make friends with the man of God. When evil leaders get themselves in a mess, they all of a sudden will want to be your friend. Be on the lookout. Watch out for that. Know who people are, and when things get really bad for them, and I'm talking about leaders and watch what they do, and I'm telling you, do not become friends. Do not have fellowship with the workers of iniquity. Watch out. So he asked uh, the, the man of God to, to help him, to pray to God, and that he would uh, his hand would be restored. He, he, this is verse 6. And the king answered and said unto the man of God, Entreat now the face of the Lord thy God, and pray for me, that my hand may be restored me again. And the man of God besought the Lord, and the king's hand was restored him again, and became as it was before. And the king said unto the man of God, Come home with me, and refresh thyself, and I will give thee a reward." Now this man of God, prophet from Judah, he has come here for a purpose. And now that he's shown the power of God Almighty, and this wayward king has, has seen what has happened, now he wants to reward him. Now this prophet, he deserves a reward. He's done. He's followed what the word, what the word of the Lord was given to him, He has put his life in danger to do so. And now, all of a sudden, this king that would, just a few minutes ago, would rather have him put to death and now wants to be a friend to him, invites him to come home with him, and he wants to give him a reward. And the man of God said unto the king, If thou wilt give me half thine house... I will not go in with thee, neither will I eat bread nor drink water in this place. For, or because, it was, uh, so it was charged me by the word of the Lord saying, Eat no bread nor drink water nor turn again by the same way that thou camest. So he went another way and returned not by the way that he came to Bethel. Now, there dwelt an old prophet in Bethel. Now, I stopped here on Wednesday night. I'm like, wait a minute. There's already a prophet in Bethel. Why did this man of God from Judah, this prophet from Judah, have to come there? There's already a prophet there. So, we got this old prophet in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel, the words which he had spoken unto the king, them they told also to their father. This was a huge event that was happening. And this old prophet knew, because evidently he was used by God sometime in the past. He had sons. These sons saw all these miraculous things that just happened. They go running back home, and tell their dad. Why didn't their dad go to this big event that was going on? He was was probably protesting. He probably didn't want anything to do with these terrible things this king was doing. He knew that it wasn't right. He was an old prophet. He knew the ways of God. But what was he doing about it? Nothing. Nothing. He was sitting at home. He wasn't even keeping his son's from going to this terrible thing that was happening. He had gotten to a point where he said, oh, well, that's just the way things are now. I can't control them anymore. They just do do what they want to do. And he's sitting at home. God had probably worked on him, and he just wouldn't go do anything. He had a house. He's probably living fairly comfortably. He didn't want to go put his life on the line what was right he was sitting at home doing nothing he might have been bragging about how he wasn't going to go participate in that terrible thing this burning of incense to this altar bragging about how he is not involved with it but yet he was doing nothing really he was just sitting at home we've got so many people in this world today that are content with doing nothing They're busy with life. They're busy with all kinds of things they do to survive and to try to enjoy life while they're here, but they're doing nothing for God. They may not participate in the evil things that are going on, but they're not doing anything to fight it. They're not doing anything to stand up against those things, and they're allowing their children to be a part of it. You know I just read, uh, recently, a book called, The Battle for the American Mind. Many of us have read that book. Many people that I know have read that book. And the book is about all the teachers that have been trained over the years in colleges Teacher college, you know, oh, I'm going to this school because I'm going to learn how to be a teacher. I'm going to learn how to be a college professor or a high school history teacher or an elementary school teacher. And they go to these colleges, and they learn how to indoctrinate the young minds of this country. That's, what they, that's all they really learn to do. They feel like they're doing a great thing because they're going to schools and they're helping little kids learn things. But what they don't realize is they have taught, been taught how to indoctrinate and to teach kids that America is not a great place, that it's actually a really bad place. Our founding fathers were horrible, and all of our laws, constitution, all that stuff is really suspect, and we probably should be changing all those things. I, I know people who've homeschooled, I used to coach in the homeschool league, basketball. I loved doing that. I met some awesome families that homeschooled. We tried it for many years to homeschool our kids. And we had very good intentions, just not, for many reasons, just not really able to do it, but we tried. We put our family in a really bad spot trying to make it work. We were criticized by many people for wanting to keep our kids out of public schools and to homeschool them. But I had so many examples of families that I knew that the people who criticized me didn't know those families. And I have seen some amazing young people grow up that are my kids' ages that have turned out to be awesome people. They, they think They problem solve. They live for God. I can remember uh, one of the the boys that I got in my mind, he was on my basketball team, the first year I went out and coached his homeschool basketball team. And he had seen injustice done in the basketball arena. You know, uh, a coach has a son on the team, and that son gets all the playing time, even though he stinks at basketball, but he gets all the playing time. He had seen these things happen. And I come out, my kids were too young, they were playing soccer in the homeschool league, but they weren't doing basketball. Well, Jonah's the boy's name, and he's I'm pretty sure it's Jonah. And he was, we had this uh, little tournament to start off the season, and I got introduced to my team, and they were, we were gonna have some just fun uh, scrimmages against each other just to kind of get a feel for how everybody, who they had. So these teams got put together, and you just got what you got. What, like, you drafted people. And I, and I had this team. And there was one boy named Jonathan. I didn't know him. Evidently, Jonah didn't know who he was. And Jonathan was really good at point guard. And we had a, in between, in between games, I'm like, and I, what, what can you do, and this, that, and the other, and I said, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to take Jonathan out at all, because from what I can see, he's the only one that can handle the ball really well. Well, Jonah thought he was my son, because why else would I be coaching if I didn't have a son on the team? And he took me to the side. This is a, a teenage kid took me to the side and told me, look, if you're going to have preference over him, and maybe it's because just because he's your son, he said, I won't play for you. And I looked at him and I went, Well, uh, I've never met Jonathan in my life, first day I've ever seen him. And he's like, You don't have a son on this team? And I said, Nope. He was just kind of shocked. And I told him that story instantly. I told him that story that I told y'all not that long ago about in gym class at school and I picked the worst player because I was made one of the captains and I picked the worst and I told him that story real quick and he stood there and he listened to me and and, and I told that story and he went, we're going to get along just fine and he walked away and never had another issue with him. Ended up being one of my best players and he ended up working for Michelle's brother uh, for a while. He's an awesome kid, awesome kid. But, He thought for himself, and he wasn't going to get pushed around, and he was not going to stand for any injustice going on, even if it was just a basketball team. That's the kind of people you can get out of a homeschool family. And they are the best types to put in office to be our representatives. People who fear God and are not scared, and they stand on what's right, and if they see things that are going wrong, they go and fix it. They don't complain about things. That's something in the Christy Known book that we read recently. She said her dad taught her that, hey, when, when she would fuss about stuff and complain about things, she said, hey, we don't complain about things, we fix them. It's easier to just sit at home and complain about them. I'm guilty of it myself. There's plenty of things that I complain about, but sometimes we just we do that just to try to you know, ease our minds and talk, we need to talk and get things out, right? Don't let things build up. So I'm not saying you can't ever complain and just talk to your spouse and to get those things off your chest and get them out of your mind and y'all can brainstorm together, but you gotta do more than just complain. You've gotta figure out how to fix those things. And I know that one of the best ways to fix things is to read the Bible and to know it and let this be the guide in your life because we've got to fix our families. And I've seen so many young people corrupted by the public school system. Totally, I mean, good kids that grow up conservative, have good Christian values, but by the time they get out of high school, all that has changed. I've I've just seen too much of it. The school has your kids for so many hours, a lot of hours every day, which accumulates over time. And when you're busy, and you're working and you're doing all these other things. You really don't have any good quality time to spend with your children to, and make sure they're in church and all those things that you try to do. And they just keep slipping away further and further. And they're going to be like these boys that were allowed to go to this altar for this burning of this incense. But they saw something they had not seen, which was a true man of God, do something. And they ran back home and told their dad. And what does the dad do? He wants to know where this man went. son said, oh, he went that way? And this father, they uh, saddled up his donkey and he went after him. And he found the prophet sitting under an oak tree. And he went up to this prophet and he said, I am a prophet like you, and told him a made-up story that an angel had showed up and told the old prophet to go to this new prophet, this, this guy who came out of Judah, and he said, because he, when he first got there, he said, look, I want you to come home with me. I want to feed you and give you something to drink, give you a place to rest. Why would you want to travel? It's late in the day. You need to rest and get an early start in the morning. And and, and the the good man, the good prophet said, No, I've heard from the Lord, and I came here for this reason, but I was told not to eat or drink or to go go the way I came. i got to go a different way. That's why I'm going out this way, and I can't do that. And and the, the old prophet said, But an angel showed up to me and told me that it's okay for you to come home with me. to to eat and drink. And the good man of God said, Oh, okay. And he went back with him. Now this old prophet hadn't heard from God in a while. And he just made up a lie. Did he feel so bad about not doing nothing that he was envious of the person who was actually doing something for God? And he's trying to drag him down? And when he's sitting there and feeding this good man this prophet from Judah. Then the real word of God came to him and this old prophet realized that what he had just done was going to cause the death of this man of God. And the the old prophet was was scared. He was like, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry, but you're a dead man. The man of God went out, got on his donkey. He started to go away. Can you you imagine what it was like realizing that you had not followed through with with, with the mission that God put you on? And this old prophet has, out of envy, he has tricked you. You have now disobeyed, and now the real word of God comes to the old prophet, and basically your death sentence has been announced to you, and then you are free to leave. He He probably already heard that lion roar while he was on the road to get out of there. Can you imagine every little movement, every little sound that he was turning his head and then all of a sudden this lion comes out of nowhere and kills him. Doesn't hurt the body. The lion was being a little more obedient than this man of God was. The man of God was told, go do this and do not eat. God told the lion, go after him, kill him, but don't eat him and the lion was obedient. And the lion actually guarded the body. Y'all want to read the rest of the story. The donkey didn't run away. The donkey stood on one side of the slain prophet. The lion sat there on the other side. And the old prophet felt so horrible about it. And him and his sons went out and they gathered up the body. He had been told in that and the new word that came to the old prophet that you won't be buried in your own tomb. You're going to be buried in a different place. So he had them bury him in his tomb, the old prophet's tomb. And, he, and, he, and the old prophet told his sons, when I, the day I die, I want you to bury me with him. And that's what happened. 300 years later, the very prophecy that this good man of God gave to Jeroboam, Came, came to be 300 years later. And Josiah is taking the bones of the bad people who were idolaters, and he was gathering up all their bones and burning them on an altar 300 years later. And they came across the bones, these two sets of bones in this old prophet's grave. And they were like, whoa, don't touch those bones. Leave them alone because they knew the story from 300 years before. So have you ever asked yourself, is it important to know our history? There are those who want to erase everything about our history. But Josiah, as bad as it was, called for the scriptures to be brought forth and read to all the people, and everybody started to repent. When they found those sets of bones, this country is what? right at 250 years old, that was 300 years. They knew their history from 300 years before. I bet you they knew their history from a couple thousand years before. We're about 250 years along in the history of this country, and there's people out there that are wanting to get rid of all of our history. History is very important. We better not forget it. We'll end up doing the same things that we see the nation of Israel do, and fall away from God. If we lose the history that started this country, when the public school was first developed in America, the Bible was the first textbook introduced to the school. And one of our founding fathers said, they'll never take this Bible out of, out of uh, the school. But, and if they ever did... They would spend all their time and money in prisons and courts. If you ever take the Bible out of the public school, he was a prophet. I'm pretty sure that was Benjamin Rush. You look him up, one of, the, one of the least known founding fathers, but one of the greatest. He was a medical doctor. That prophecy has come to pass. We took the Bible out of schools. We took prayer out of schools, and we've trained all of our educators, whether they know it or not, to break down the history of this, to make people think, young people, young minds, to corrupt them to think that this nation was founded in a bad way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, I pray that it will always be available. That, Father, that we would keep a hold of your word, Father. We would carry it where we go. Father, that we would cherish it. That we would be people who would do things your way and not our own way. Father, I pray that we would be bold prophets for you. Father, you still need people to take your word to the places it desperately needs to go. and Father, I pray if you have lifted up or set apart any of us to do your work, that we would do it, not fearing the bad things, the trouble we might get into. But Father, we'd be more interested in doing what you want done than our own comforts of this world. Father, I pray for boldness. Father, I pray that we would be wise to not allow the workers of iniquity, those people who are clearly against you, Lord, from tricking us into becoming friends with them so that we will be compromised and not follow through with perfect obedience to you, Lord. Thank you, Father.